Hello, lovelies. Well, it's 1780 something. I don't know. <laughs> and Marie Antoinette and her ladies in waiting enter a heavily incensed salon. The music of a glass harmonica, invented by Benjamin Franklin, by the way, provided a haunting soundtrack. And thick drapes, mirrors, and astrological symbols decorated the opulent half-lit room. One would not be surprised if a seance was about to occur. However, the ladies would be directed to form a circle around a short wooden tub filled with metals and glass. The becker, as the tub was called, was decorated with Masonic symbols. A radiating sun with a pyramid embedded in its core, from which a copper ball of the Leyden jar emerges just like an all-seeing eye. It was adorned with cornflowers too, that might also be interpreted symbolically as triggers for the interior vision that this upcoming session at the tub was thought to inspire. Franz Anton Mesmer the legendary Viennese healer, hypnotist, and showman would enter this Baroque salon wearing flamboyant gold slippers and a lilac silk robe. He would prowl around the expectant, highly charged circle, sending the queen and her maidens into trances with his enthralling brown-eyed stare. By slowly passing his hands over the women's bodies, or with a simple flick of his magnetized wand, Mesmer would provoke cries, fits of contagious hysterical laughter, and dramatic convulsions. Now, I don't know about you, but have you seen those videos of energy orgasms on YouTube? <laughs> or maybe you've even been lucky enough to experience one for yourself, in which case you will understand why when Mesmer threatened to leave France due to not being suitably appreciated, Marie Antoinette offered him a substantial pension of 20,000 francs and an annual salary of 10,000 more to stay on condition that he train up some other pupils in his technique so the queen could receive her restoratives even in his absence. Well, Mesmer wrote an ungracious public letter to the Queen, rejecting the proposal and suggesting a sum closer to 400,000 francs. I don't think it worked out for him as he left amid controversy and accusations of fraud. I was being taxed with eccentricity, he wrote in Memoir on the Discovery of Animal Magnetism, which was published the following year. Quote, my tendency to quit the normal path of medicine was being construed as a crime. Kind of sounds familiar. However, his reputation and fame as an extraordinarily healer prevailed, cemented upon publication of the memoir, in which Mesmer recounted his therapeutic successes and outlined the 27 principles of the animal magnetism, which his followers came to call the doctrine. More patients soon besieged Mesmer than he could have hoped to treat individually, as many as 200 a day, 
So he invented the bucket. I'm just going to say tub. A tub big enough to accommodate them all en masse. A few years earlier, Mesmer had discovered that the powers of his own animal magnetism. Now, let me just stop here and say that the term is somewhat misleading, as what he was really intending was animating magnetism rather than animal magnetism. But one can be excused for getting those confused in light of the, quote, cathartic and curative orgasmic howls coming from the salon. Anyway, he discovered that his animating or vital energies were magnified if he stood with one foot in a pail of water with another iron rod dipped into it. The tub was essentially a giant bucket a huge laden jar supposedly charged by the animal magnetism emanating from Mesmer's own person. Mesmer believed that animal magnetism could be stored up and concentrated like electric fluid, and that with the aid of the magnetic reservoir in his tub, he could distribute the full force of his own peculiar vital fire to a burgeoning clientele. In fact, the hysterical reactions that Mesmer provoked seemed to be contagious, so the dramatic effects were exacerbated in a crowded room. Some tubs could seat 20 people, and Mesmer had four of these in his Paris treatment room. The fashionable and the curious flocked to Mesmer's clinic to see and experience the miraculous transformations. George Lafayette, a French soldier and statesman, actually wrote to George Washington of his enthusiasm for Mesmer, saying, I know as much about it as any sorcerer ever did. Before leaving Paris, I assume, I will obtain permission to let you into Mesmer's secret, which, you can count on it, is a great philosophical discovery. However, not everybody was so enthusiastic, and in 1784, without Mesmer requesting it, King Louis XVI appointed four members of the Faculty of Medicine as commissioners to investigate animal magnetism. One of them was actually Benjamin Franklin. The commission conducted a series of experiments aimed not at determining whether Mesmer's treatment worked, but whether he had discovered a new physical fluid. The commission concluded that there was no evidence of such a fluid. Whatever benefit the treatment produced was attributed to imagination. One of the commissioners, the botanist Anton de Jusuis took exception to the official reports. He wrote a dissenting opinion that declared Mesmer's theory credible and worthy of further investigation. Now, the commission did not actually examine Mesmer, but investigated his actual practice. In doing so, they used blind trials in their investigation, and the commission learned that mesmerism only seemed to work when the subject was aware of it. The commission termed it as imagination, but their findings are considered to be the first observation of the placebo effect. I guess you had to be there or had to experience the procedure to know if it was real or not. But this story kind of reminds me of our materialistic prison paradigm. And it also brings to mind a 
famous quote I love. It's unkind to point out the obvious to those who don't want to see it, but it's worse to point out the invisible to those convinced it doesn't exist. Isn't that cheeky? (laughs) And just the perfect explanation for the skeptics in this story and for our materialistic prison paradigm today. Well, this is one of my favorite authors ever, the fabulous Mr. Ingo Swan, who had an entirely different perspective on what Anton Mesmer was actually up to. For those of you who might not have heard of Ingo, he was an acclaimed psychic, remote viewer, and co-creator of the Stargate Project. The Stargate Project was a secret U.S. Army unit established in Maryland by the Defense Intelligence Agency and SRI International to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence operations. Pretty cool, huh? I love the tone of his books and the content is super interesting. And he also had a run-in with aliens, right? So how cool is that? He's my kind of guy. Another of his quotes is, Enthusiasm collects vital energies or as Mesmer would say, animal magnetism. And the reason for this long story that I just told you and the introduction of Ingo into this mix is that this is a topic we'll explore for a little bit. The reasons being that magic requires vital energies. One of the big problems we have in discussing these topics is that there is not a clear nomenclature to even discuss them. In season three of uh, Magical Egypt, J.J. Semple, author of The Golden Flower, talks about Kundalini having a similar problem. There is so much confusion about the use and definition of that word too. So for the purposes here, we could use the term vital energies as in life energy or animating magnetism, or animal magnetism, or psychic force, which is the term used by Ingo, just to confuse you even more. And he doesn't mean psychic here in the ability of mind reading, just to make that clear. But the one thing all of these terms have in common is that they are all sexualizing energies, And what do I mean by sexualizing energies? Well, you know the last time you had sex for the first time with someone? You know how the air gets thick between the two of you and how the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Or how your skin shivers when they send you that, it's business time, baby, look. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Well, now, even though you couldn't see anything, you certainly could feel it. And that is normal. In fact, most people totally get that feeling and use words like turned on, for example. Without those feelings, I don't even think we would feel fully alive, right? It's odd, though, that despite sexual energies being something we're all familiar with, Ingo explains that any attempt to research these sexualizing energies are actively condemned. Now, what was that again? It's worse to point out the invisible to those convinced it doesn't exist. 
Yeah, I think so, eh? What's even weirder, Ingo says, is that people like himself with psychic capabilities can see them. They are wonderfully elaborate and colorful. But then again, Psy has not been met with, uh, you know, outrageously open arms either in the mainstream. So what are you going to do? Well, when I was doing my interviews on magic, I first of all learned that magic requires energy. And I got some really interesting anecdotes about raising one's energy to accomplish magic. One person I'm going to quote, because it certainly applies here, is Lon Milo Duquette. When I asked him about sex magic, the idea of sexual energy came up and he said, all energy is sexual energy. Well, everything is sexual energy. The sun is lit by sexual energy. The stars are lit by sexual energy. Sexual energy runs the rivers and streams. Sexual energy broods in the ocean. Sexual energy plunges forth mountains out of the, out of the earth. Sexual energy is our volcanoes. Okay. Sexual energy is gravity, the weak force and the strong force and, and radiation and electromagnetism. Okay, it's all sexual energy. And I must admit that Thomas Sheridan has some incredible approaches for raising energy for magic, from the energy at rock concerts to using the emotional chatter on the internet. He even has a video on YouTube about how to use a microwave. I adore Thomas and his creativity and the application of his wisdom. But if you want to look at these energies from an academic or kind of really mm, involved perspective, probably the best place to look is in the East, which is what we did in magical Egypt to really fill in the holes that were left in ancient Egypt. Now, before we go there, Mesmer believed that the human nervous system was made up of a subtle, invisible fluid analogous to electricity, but operating according to hitherto unknown laws that was subject to the ebb and flow of planetary influence, much like the ocean tides. For Mesmer, a healthy man was essentially an electrical machine in harmony with the energies of the cosmos. He believed that sickness was caused by an obstruction of the free flow of radiant fluid in the body and that he could restore a natural equilibrium in his patients with the powers of his own animal magnetism. To transfer this healing current, Mesmer would sit with his patient's legs squeezed between his knees, press their thumbs in his hands, stare intensely into their eyes and stroke their limbs to manipulate their internal ether. He claimed to have cured many ailments in this fashion, but while the West is scant on research of this phenomena, we can turn to the East for much greater detail. As Ingo says in the fabulous book Psychic Sexuality, The Biopsychic Anatomy of Sexual Energies, quote, Ancient Eastern texts stipulate the real existence of intangible, invisible energies that download into material representations and efforts. 
The point here is that the ancient traditions advocate understanding and working with these energies. They have actual operational knowledge of them. He goes on to say that tantras come from Sanskrit and literally refers to a loom upon which all things can be woven and among which are the enhancements of balanced sexuality, creative powers, which is what Chance talks about in Magical Egypt, the achievement of desired objectives or magic, and the attainment of six superhuman faculties or cities, another interest of Mr. Gardner. Ingo could be described as possessing himself more than one of these superhuman faculties. And I love him because he observed, recorded, and carefully constructed reflections about these energies, making the ideas accessible to us. In chapter 12, which is called Psychic Force as Affluent Substance, Ingo comments the only real problem with the whole of this discussion is that modern sciences do not admit that this kind of magnetism or force exists. He goes on to list a number of characteristics of the psychic force, as he calls it, taken from a book called Spiritualism Answered by Science, written in 1871 by Edward William Cox. According to Ingo, Cox was the person who actually coined the generally accepted term psychic to refer to psychological abilities that transcend mechanistic limits. The list includes three characteristics I particularly want to draw your attention to. Number one, there is a force proceeding from or directly associated with the human organism. Two, the strength or power of the force is conditional upon the mental and emotional state of the individual and the individuals involved. The force is sometimes but rarely exhibited when the person is alone. As a rule, the presence of other people promote the operation of the force. Three, the force is materially influenced by the electric and magnetic conditions of the atmosphere and of surrounding bodies, by heat and cold, by moisture and dryness, and still more by the nervous condition of the persons present. Again, these come from a book by Edward Cox called Spiritualism Answered by Science, where he took great care to describe this psychic force. And these descriptions not only correlate with mesmer, but also with traditional Chinese medicine's concept of qi. Cox first points out that in spiritualism, it is held that everyone possesses an amount of animal magnetism and that animal or animating magnetism or psychic force and that this substance, quote, proceeds from some kind of body matrix and like other forces of nature is perceptible to our senses. Cox explains that a person who has more of this force Quote, attracts it from those with whom he is in communication. 
The assumption being those with more attract corresponding responses in those with a lower amount. Now, this is interesting to me because this is what Thomas Sheridan calls charisma, and it is how he describes the magical force. Ingo also points out that this force is dependent on its environment, items such as weather, climate, season, placement on the planet, and within constellations have direct impact upon it. If any of these aspects is off the grid, is off balance or out of tune, either nothing, something unexpected, or things unlovely and downright evil will be generated by this. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because that echoes what Dr. Skinner says about working with spirits, that the timing and that everything needs to be aligned for that to operate. But not only Dr. Skinner knows this, the American Indians knew this, and so did the Australian Indigenous, and I'm sure, really, many other shamanistic cultures around the world know this. But with so many people being aware of this crucial matter and having it been known for so long in so many civilizations, I wonder why there's so little research on it. In Psychic Sexuality, Ingo explores many of the reasons why knowledge of basic life-enhancing processes is denied and even prohibited. He suggests it should, quote, We, the people, ever learn how to consciously amplify and utilize the psychic force that flows through us and through all that is, then all bets are off. Talk about power, eh? Imagine the paradigm shift. No more friggin' materialistic prison paradigm, that's for sure. I venture to say that the deepest cause behind most of the war poverty, disease, and phenomena, both too vast and too subtle to quite comprehend, (laughs) is the lust for power, right? Because our potential power is so great, we are locked out of our creative power by distortion, oppression, repression, and suppression of our creative energy by keeping all of this a secret. But not for long. We are now in the apocalypse and all is being revealed. But become part of the revelation yourself. Start observing your own energy. Make its observation part of your experience. Always remembering we are all part of one another. Observe the obvious, the fruits the effects of our efforts on ourselves and those around us, the change in you that entails the change in me and them and all of it everywhere. Find out how the energies flow and set sail. Begin now and may the force be with you. Hello lovelies, I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hecka. 
Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Holm, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com. Immaterial. 